Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music today. I always say welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. Well, let me say at the first Sunday of the year, we are glad that uh, you joined us. I know that there are friends of mine and others that uh, cannot be in a service, and so you watch our, our service. Thank you for that. And uh, let me encourage everyone to always seek for a local church when you can and be part of it and be there with that church. We're so glad to have you with us, though, on these Sunday mornings. We are going back to the book of Galatians this morning. It's been a while because we uh, took time off all through December and the holiday uh, services. And so we come back into the middle of chapter 5, uh, actually in verses 19 to 21. We read these a minute ago in our service. So we kind of need to re readjust, review, or uh, understand where, where we left off. The whole book of Galatians has been about law and grace. Do we live by the law, specifically the Mosaic law, or do we live by grace in the age of grace? And of course, Paul is saying, no, we're not saved by the law. We don't live by the law. We live by grace, the same grace that we're saved by. Now, ch chapters uh, 1 through 4 dealt with that in a doctrinal way very much. But in chapters 5 through 6, the application begins. And Paul is applying many of these things that we've learned to our lives right now. A key word in chapters 5 and 6 is the word flesh. That word flesh appears 15 times in this book. So Paul uses it quite often. In chapters 1 through 4, it was used in two different ways. The first one is sometimes flesh can talk about the body that we live in, this, this body of flesh. Uh, specifically, chapter 4, verse 13, he says, You know that because of physical infirmities I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my trial which was in my flesh you despised not or rejected. He had a lot of things going on in his physical body, including uh, not only his eyesight, but also just the wounds that he had. So that's one way. And then another way that the word flesh is used is actually describes our attempt at doing good works. So in chapter 3, verse 3, he said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or, or the works of the flesh? I'm sorry, verse 3. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, your good works, your, your life, your, your, your body that you live in, the life that you live, you try to do good works. But in chapters 5 through 6, Eight times he's going to use this word flesh in these two shorter chapters, and it always has to do with the sinful nature, which is very typical in Paul's writings, especially in Romans and books like, like these. Uh, he will talk about this flesh that we have, and he means this old nature that lives within us. And of course, when you look at verses 19, 20, and 21, like we're going to today, we see all kinds of manifestation of this. And uh, so uh, these are the works of the law that come out of a person's old nature or flesh. The most important three minutes in your Christian life today is what I'm about to say. 
So listen very carefully to how I'm going to explain this. The problem with trying to keep the law, as Paul has been trying to explain in this book, or by doing good works, is that human effort always proceeds from a sinful nature. We are sinners. We are children of Adam. And therefore, we have this lust of the flesh. Look at chat, uh, verse 16, if you will. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But a believer, you have another option, and that is that the Holy Spirit lives within you, not in every person, but in believers. So verse 16 also says, if you'll walk in the Spirit, see, then you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You as a believer have that option. These two options, if you will, are vying for control within your life as a believer. Look at verse 17. The lust or the flesh lusts against the spirit, pushes down against the spirit, and the spirit pushes down against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. This is what Romans 7, as you get into it in the Sunday school lessons, are going to be about. So, the secret of your success as a Christian is, first of all, to live in the Spirit. That's what verse 25, when we get down to that next week, is going to say. If we live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. So, first of all, you have to be born again. You have to live in the Spirit. Secondly, you have to be led of the Spirit. That's what verse 18 then will say. If you are led of the Spirit, then you're not under the law. And thirdly, you need to walk in the Spirit, which is what verse 16 says. So live in the Spirit, be led of the Spirit, and then follow. Walk in the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit leads you, you can walk that way. Now, Paul is going to deal with both options. That is, the works of the flesh on one hand, or the fruit of the Spirit being led by the Spirit on the other hand. Verses 19 to 21. All people saved and lost have flesh. We all have that sin nature. You didn't lose that as a, as a Christian. You're still a child of Adam. You know within yourself that you have sin still in your mortal being. But the lost only have the flesh. And so when they go to do a work, try to follow the law or any law, it comes from that. It cannot come from the Holy Spirit. He's not in them. But the saved person has both options. You can be led of that flesh and fall into carnality and sin, or you can be led of the Spirit. The saved person lives in the Spirit, and only occasionally does he give way to that flesh. So we have seen in our world today and are seeing it more often how quickly that old flesh and a lost person can come out in anger and, and rioting and killing and murder. Uh, we see that with no emotion, no feeling from that type of flesh. So verse 17 talks about these works of the flesh and the, our verses, verses 19, 20, and 21, have 17 
17 descriptions of the flesh that is in all of us. And I want you to understand this, too, that these words that we have here are actually like headings on categories. They, they are uh, headings that have many offshoots to them. For example, adultery is a heading, but we know that lust is part of adultery. The Lord said, if you have lust uh, towards one another, you committed adultery with that person. You remember those words. Idolatry is a big heading. Underneath that is covetousness. Paul said, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then murder is a big category. But John says in 1 John, he that hateth his brother is a murderer. So hatred is is a, a category underneath murder. So when we read these 17 words, it isn't all there is to it. These are just large categories underneath which are all kinds of things that pop up. So notice, uh, if you will, as we approach this list, I've divided it into four groups. Commentators deal with this list in a lot of different ways and have come up with different lists and different ways to categorize them. I think it, this is pretty obvious. I, I think these are, you'll see that uh, we can at least group them this way. Paul just lists them all, okay? And uh, it's up to him to list however he wants. But notice that he does begin in verse uh, 19 by saying, the works of the flesh are evident or manifest, you might have. They cannot be hidden. The works of the flesh come out. The works of the flesh spill over. You know it when it comes out of your mouth, for example. You said, I shouldn't have said that. Or, I shouldn't have acted like that. I shouldn't have felt like that. I shouldn't have looked at that. Whatever it is, it's manifest. First Timothy 5, Paul says, some sins are evident and can't be hidden. Others that are hidden eventually come out. And that's what Paul is saying here. So, first of all, sexual sins. As a matter of fact, these three or four things that I have here are almost always at the top of lists. And you'll find lists like this in almost all of Paul's writings. I'm going to read some from Romans, and Ephesians has these, Colossians has these. Uh, these kinds of lists appear often in the Scripture. So, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentious. I have words from the old and new uh, version, I, I hope, there for you. Adultery is moikia, which almost always has to do with marital relationships. Sexual sins as, as far as unfaithfulness in the marriage union. So, remember, God created marriage. And he created human beings, male and female, for marriage. And so a, a marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, that is God's definition of marriage from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the Scripture. And remember that those two people come together in a marriage covenant, and God is the witness to that covenant. And so he intends for that to be held uh, uh, in a sacred union. To violate that union, to go outside of that union that God has brought a man and a woman together in, is to commit adultery, is to do something that is wrong. It's interesting in 
there, there's a, in Leviticus 18, there's a list of things, and it's called the holiness code, Leviticus 18 and 19. I've referred to this before. And it, it begins with this kind of sin and goes to fornication, which is the next one, and all kinds of terrible sexual sins. But the one word that is almost always used is to discover someone's nakedness. That is part of it. That is why you do not do that as someone's husband or someone's wife. You don't discover nakedness of someone else. That's the way God describes it. When Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first, first thing he did to them in the garden? He covered them up because now sin has done that to you. So to do that, the penalty was death in the Old Testament. That's how serious God sees this to violate this covenant between two people. So adultery has always been seen as a very serious thing with God. Adultery destroys lives, your life, someone else's life. It destroys families, all of the family together. It destroys societies, which it's doing in our country today. Now, think of this. God has a covenant with you as a believer you are part of the bride of Christ. God has a covenant with you that he will never violate. Because if he did, you'd be lost. But can you be lost again? No. And why not? Because God will never violate his marriage covenant that he has with you. And that's why he expects you never to violate that as a human with your uh, the one that you're married to. So adultery is on this list. Fornication is actually even a larger category than adultery. Adultery, you could say, is underneath fornication. Fornication is a word that describes almost all sexual sins. So in that holiness code in Leviticus 18, you'll find everything, including bestiality here, uh, having to do under fornication. You know how you, the word for fornication is pornea. And what English word do we get from pornea? We obviously get pornography from it. So pornography itself is part of fornication, this type of sexual sins. So is, for example, homosexuality listed so many times in God's word as fornication, as a sexual sin. SSA, an abbreviation these days for same-sex attraction, People are trying to make this kind of a common thing. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to the same sex as long as you don't take it too far and that kind of thing. No, the Bible calls it inordinate affection. That's what same-sex attraction is. And then we have LGBTQ+++. And all of those things are fornication. All of those things are serious sins before God. And yet... It's become almost commonplace uh, in societies today, not just in ours, but all around the world. I think there's an interesting expression in Psalm 19. When you, when you read Psalm 19, what do you think of? The heavens declare the glory of God, right? But at the, end of that, at the end of that psalm, David will say, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults, he says. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I will be innocent, and here's the phrase, from the great transgression. I think the great transgression is this powerful thing inside you, that human nature, 
and that drive for sexual sins. It can destroy you, it can destroy a family, it can destroy a country, and we're seeing it doing it. I often say, folks, our, our society today is immoral, immodest, and impious. We live in this pornographic society today. We have to be very careful as God's people. Thirdly, uncleanness. Catharizo, catharization, you know, uh, a catheter is something that is cleaned out. Take that word cathare uh, and, and put an A in front of it, and you have this word, acatharsia, that is uncleanness. So this, this moral impurity is called. One, one time in the book of Revelation, in describing the, the great harlot of Revelation chapter 17, John uses this word and says the filthiness of her fornication, the uncleanness of her fornication. That's how powerful this, this word is. In Romans 124 is one of the words where God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to this sin. In the Gospels, it's interesting where demons are referred to. They are called unclean spirits. That is this word. Uh, they need a cleaning out. <laughs> they need that operation, but they don't have it. And so uncleanness. Now, licentiousness or lewdness you might have here is an interesting word too. Aselia is a word that means wantonness. If, if we say wantonness like in the old version, we, we understand that. In, in 2 Peter chapter 2, in explaining the sins of the end time, he calls it filthy conversation, licentiousness, filthy conversation. Now, one of the offshoots of a sin like this is, the, is lust. And, you know, we have that word epithumia. Remember how I've described short desire to you often. Epithumia used dozens of times in the New Testament, usually just translated lust. It's part of licentiousness. But here's, here's an interesting historical note that I have found. And that is that three times, of all the times epithumia is used in the New Testament and translated lust, the old version, the old King James Version, those guys in three of those instances translated it with the word concupiscence. Remember that old word, concupiscence? It's kind of been eliminated from the newer versions. But there's a, there was a reason for them using that word. And they used it only three times in our New Testament in a context where this licentiousness and, or epithumia is especially bad. I'll read them to you. One is Romans 7, verse 8. But sin, Paul says, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, all manner of filthiness, all manner of lewdness. Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, there's our words, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. And they added the word evil because of the context here. And covetousness, which is idolatry. And then one more, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Well, 
this has been some months ago, I remember reading this. I was reading about this old word and why they dragged that word up and why they used it. Here's why. Inside the word concupiscence is the word cupid. <laughs> and if I said cupid, you would know who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. Cupidity, if you look it up in your dictionary, will say an inordinate sexual desire. It's beyond ordinary. It's beyond just lust. It's beyond just lewdness. It's inordinate. Cupidity. I was in Athens one time in my life, and I went to the museum there in Athens, the historical museum, and they had a statue of Cupid in this, in this museum. We were on a tour, you know, going through, and I didn't want to look at the statue. It was absolutely indecent, and yet we use Cupid nowadays as some kind of innocent little guy with a bow and arrow. It was, historically, it was not. We get that word cupidity from it. Now, I'm going to read you Linsky's description of these four words so far as he summarizes. Listen to this. Lewdness, lasciviousness, having, he says, quote, having restraint removed, plunging onward like a runaway horse. It is here associated with sex. As uncleanness spreads in all directions, so this rushes on through to the limit and lets no consideration halt its course. Gromacki just simply said, it offends public decency. That's what we've read so far. That's what's in the human, human nature, excuse me. That's what happens in a society or in an individual life when there's no restraint by the Holy Spirit. Now, I get done, and I say to my mother who's in heaven right now, Mom, I'll go home and wash my mouth out with soap <laughs> after having to talk about these things. Uh, but yet God puts them by inspiration in our Scripture. And why, folks? Because we need to be warned about these, and we need to understand what can come out of the human nature if we allow it to come. So we go on to three other categories. The, the second one is I call religious sins. So uh, idolatry and sorcery, but notice I bring heresies up from the bottom of this, uh, of this verse because I think heresies go in this category. So I would call these religious sins. Well, idolatry, of course it is. And idolatry is in the Ten Commandments, and which one is it? Number one. Number one, God says, you don't do this. Let me go back to Exodus 20, verse 5. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. I am the Lord thy God, and I am a jealous God, he says. Now that brings up idolatry. You know, Paul says to the Romans in Romans 2.22, you who say, he's speaking to his Jewish hearers here, you who say, do not commit uh, adultery, he says, do you commit adultery? And then he says again, 
you who abhor idols. And he says, do you commit sacrilege? Do you commit idolatry? It's an easy thing to preach against and pretty hard not to do because we can easily set so many things before God and we do them all the time. You know, Jesus said to those Pharisees, if you hate not your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. What in the world did he mean by that? You can't put anyone before God. Nothing comes before God in our lives, or it is idolatry. And so, folks, how many times have we been idolaters in our Christian life by putting something before God, something in God's place, when we ought to be following what He says, doing what He says to do, but we've got our own agenda? our own things to do. So idolatry is one sorcery. You might have witchcraft here. You know why? You know what the word for sorcery or witchcraft is? Pharmakia. Pharmakia. You know what word we get from that? Pharmacy. A witch was a mixture of drugs. A pharmacy is a mixture uh, somewhere where they mix drugs. Sorcery. I have to say, when I met and married Anne, I took her out of sorcery. When we, were, when we were in seminary, I drove buses to make a living. She was a mixer of drugs. She worked in a pharmacy. I took her out of that, praise the Lord. Not only that, but she taught that to our son because when Matthew was in seminary, who's now a theology professor, he worked in a pharmacy. He was a mixer of drugs, too. Well... In, those, in that world, in that Greek and Roman world that they live in, uh, th these, this was like the witch of Endor. These were, these were the people that, that dealt not only in these things, but in all of the, the, the seances and, and spiritual things and, and all. So it was very terrible. In the book of Revelation, you have this a few times. Uh, Revelation 9.21 when God is bringing wrath upon the world, it says at the end of that chapter, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Going on in the tribulation period will be sorceries of all kinds. We're, we're mixers of drugs today and all of the sins that, that go along with it. In chapter 21, where those, some are not allowed into heaven for eternity, it says sorcerers will have their part in the lake of fire, not in the new Jerusalem. So this is a serious sin also. If I can only apply it, to folks, to artificial stimulants that replace God's leading in your life, that's why God says drunkenness, which we come to later in this list, and things like this, things that replace God's leading in your life or God being first in your life. You don't, you don't lead your mind and your body off into places where God can't control it, whether it's drunkenness, drugs, or other addictions. Lastly, and the religious sins is heresies. Actually, when you say the word heresy, you're pronouncing the Greek word. That's, that's how you pronounce the Greek word. Sometimes it's translated S-E-C-T, a sect, like the sect of the Pharisees or the sect of the Sadducees is pretty common in the Gospels. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter 2.1. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets 
teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, he says. These things that lead people away from the Lord, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring us upon themselves swift destruction. Paul used it of a person when he said, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, then reject. So heresy is, is, is false teaching that leads people away from the gospel and away from Christ. And folks, our world is full of heresies. They're all over. Well, the, the world always has been, but now you can reach into your pocket, pull out your phone, and read heresy anytime you want, and listen to heresy anytime you want. It's all over the place. We have to be discerning about these things. Technology is a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. My, you know, those of you who have been through surgery, my son just went through surgery. I praise the Lord for technology today. But, but technology can be as bad as it is good, and sometimes worse than it is good. And it can lead you astray if you follow it too far. So sexual sins, religious sins, and thirdly, notice temper sins or temperament, if you will. Now here we have seven different words, and these are the most common. In other words, you, you, you finally get to this part of the list and you say, oh, good, these aren't so bad. <laughs> well, that's because they lie under the surface they're there all the time, but actually, as a believer, as you look at these seven things, these are the ones you say to yourself, oh, man, I, I don't have control of that one. This one happens to me all the time. Maybe not murder, adultery, uh, idolatry, but these kind you look at and say, these are pretty dangerous. We have to be careful of these. Well, Paul includes them in the same list. So first of all, you have hatred. This is just deep resentment. I, I have come to think, folks, that hatred is in our world and in our lives in ways that we do not recognize. I think this is what Peter meant when he said, there is a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many. This hatred at various different levels in our lives uh, can kill us. As a matter of fact, I said earlier, 1 John 3.15, John says, he that hateth his brother is a murderer. <laughs> Someone who hates their Christian brother or sister is a murderer because murder and hatred are the same kind of thing. Just one is taken to a much longer or further degree than the first. So hatred in our lives is the same thing as being a murderer, according to God. You just haven't taken it all away yet. And so it, it is a terrible sin in our lives. Secondly is contentions or variants, you might have to say. Sometimes this word is translated debating or debates. Romans 129 and that terrible list of sins being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, and then he says debate. Debating. I think it's a contentious spirit. You know, the, uh, in the list of qualifications for a pastor, he's not to be a striker. I don't think that means the pastor goes around punching people in the nose all the time, but I, I do think it means someone who always takes things the wrong way, who always kind of is looking for a fight, someone who always is opposite of everything. 
contentions, variance, debating. Thirdly is jealousies, emulations, if you will. This word is the root word for zealous. Uh, Zeloi is, is the idea of being zealous towards something, but it's also translated malice and envy. As a matter of fact, I have 1 Corinthians 3.3 3 here where you'll see here and two words down is the word strife or selfish ambition. Those two words are coupled together often in our New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, for you, he's speaking to Christians, by the way, you are still carnal for where there are envy and strife. He puts these two words together, where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like men? In other words, you're acting like lost people. When these things of jealousy or emulations come in with the selfish ambitions and strife. Now, in between those is wrath. Wrath, thumos. There's a, there are a few different words for wrath in our New Testament. But in the book of Revelation, you remember how the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the world? Ten times this word thumos describes the wrath of God to be poured out in the tribulation period. So when you look up its definition, it, it means passion. As a matter of fact, one place it, it read heavy breathing. <laughs> you know, and you see somebody just so mad, you know, can't control their very breathing. It means outbursts of wrath. As a matter of fact, the New King James has here in this, this verse, the word outbursts, it, it's added to that word because of the context here. Here's a context for it. Do you remember Herod the Great when Jesus was born and he wanted to know uh, 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 what was going on? Matthew 2.16 says it this way. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, remember that? was exceedingly angry, thumas, this type of wrath. Folks, we can't let that get a foothold like hatred in our lives. Wrath will eat us up inside. Now, again, selfish ambitions or strife, arithia means factions. It means ambitions in the sense of I want health, wealth, and and prosperity, I want fame and fortune. The love of money, which is the root of all evil, is a selfish ambition. To be first, to be important, is selfish ambition. Sixth is dissensions, seditions you might have, disunion, something that is split in two. A subcategory of this is the word schismatic, schismata means a schismatic. That's the word used in 1 Corinthians when Paul is addressing the church and says there are divisions among you. Remember in, in Corinth, there are schismas, uh, schismatics among you who do these kinds of things, divisions among you. And lastly is envy, jealousy, spite, ill will. So you look at those seven things and you realize, boy, these creep into my life easily easier than these other things, and I have to be very careful about them. Again, someone without the Spirit of God, these things just live in their lives. It's just always coming out in their lives. But you, if you are led by the Spirit, these things don't have to come out, but they will if you don't follow the Spirit of God. And then 
fourthly, I call these three social sins. That is, things that affect society, the things that affect our, our culture. Murder. Murder is the sixth, uh, the sixth commandment, you know, not to murder. Uh, you might have the word kill. Uh, the New King James has murder. When you read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, obviously means murder because the, pun the penalty in the Mosaic Law for killing was to kill. Capital punishment is to take someone's life. So you do that for murder. Murder is premeditated killing, of course. And that's what we're talking about here. How awful was it to see the attack upon Israel in October of, of the murder that happened, again, without emotion, without remorse, without feeling? This is, this is the type of thing that the, the lost nature can take a person so far that they commit a, a sin like this and not even think about it, even celebrate it, even glad they did it. It's a terrible thing. Drunkenness, again, is, is like excess and like uh, addictions, and of course it can be. Paul says in wine, wherein is excess? Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess? Because in that thing is excess. In that substance is something that will lead you astray. And so drunkenness is always a sin. Another two words that are combined often are these last two words, drunkenness and revelries, which means carousing, surfeiting, partying, if you will. So in Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. He combines the two words, revelry and drunkenness. One will take you to the other. Partying will take you to drunkenness. Drunkenness will take you to partying and, and reveling carousing, that means. Luke uh, 21, 34, uh, Jesus said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. He combines these two words too. So there's a list. Again, I say it, it you know, I, I'll be so glad next week when we get the fruit of the Spirit, won't you? <laughs> it's, a much, it's a much nicer list. But let me, let me conclude with a, a, a few thoughts. First of all, I want to read to you Romans 1, 28 to 32. At the end of that chapter, where God gives a society up to its inordinate affection, gives it up to its sins, he comes down to the last one, and Romans 1.28 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, is that not us in America today? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what a reprobate mind is? To do those things which are not convenient. Let me read them to you. Here's, here's how Paul concludes it under God's inspiration. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, 
without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Who, listen to the last statement, who knowing the judgment of God, the wrath of God, that they which commit such things are really worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's where our society has sunk to today. And folks, if we don't if we're not careful, we will be like the frog in the pot of uh, slowly warming up water, won't we? We'll be just a few steps behind our society and think we're so great because we're not where they are, but may be pulled along in that direction far too far. Now, Paul says at the end of our uh, section here, verse 21, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past. Paul, Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you three times. I told you in time past when I was with you. Now I'm writing it to you, and I'm telling you beforehand what I'm going to say again the next time I see you. Paul says, these things are, are, are so important in our lives, I'm going to tell you every time I get a chance to tell you about these things, that they who practice Notice, they who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sometimes if we're not careful, we read a statement like that and says, oh, no, I guess I can't be saved because I did one of these sins. You might have in the King James, if you do these things. Now, the thing to notice about the word do or the word practice, it's in the present tense. And, of course, it means it's the person who's, this is the habit of their life. This is the way they live their life. Not just a one-time thing. This is them because they have a fallen nature and they don't have a human nature. They have the flesh, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And those people who are like that are, are not saved. Now, understand that the Bible will teach that you as a believer may fall into a sin like this. You may do one of these. In Romans chapter 7, which you will be studying soon, Paul will say, I struggle with the, I have to constantly be on guard to keep these things out of my life because they can happen to you. But when we do that, we're not being led of the Spirit, we're not being filled with the Spirit, and we're doing what the world does. We do it, uh, as he says, like men, like common men rather than ourselves. But if we do these all the time, if we have no control over these at all, and this is the pattern of our life, we better check our salvation, see whether that's real or not. And notice also, before you leave that verse, who practice such things. That's why I said, these are large categories with a long list of things under each one. Such things. There are a lot more than are mentioned here. All kinds of offshoots of these sins. And I would say, if you have any kind of a conscience at all, you see them. You know them. You know where the dangers are. You know where your Achilles heel is. You know, you know things that come up too easily. And you have to control those. And you can with the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad? At the end of Corinthians, he said of Jesus Christ, He is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our sanctification. He will be our redemption when God takes us to heaven. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? Aren't you glad you're covered by the, by the blood of Christ and you know him as Savior? And you ought to rejoice in that. 
but you ought to also say, with God, I will serve you till my dying day in every way that I can. All right, stand with me if you will. What a list. What a, a, a thing that we have in the Scripture, and we have it in many books and in many ways. Let's take it seriously. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we read these kinds of things, on the one hand, Father, it, it convicts us and burdens us because we realize that seed is way down in us too. That potential is there lurking in the hallways of our lives. But Father, then we think how you have saved us out of these things, how your blood cleanses us from all sins, and how, Father, with the leading of your Spirit and walking in the Spirit, we don't have to do these things. So, Father, help us as believers, first of all, to live these lives that are pleasing to you. And then, Father, secondly, we have a gospel that will save people. We have a gospel that delivers these people from, from this type of life and from this type of destiny. And so, Father, make us faithful in living these lives so that we can witness of these lives too. So bless now as we think about these things, we sing a song, speak to our hearts in the way that we need. Surely among all of us, Father, there are things that we just need to turn over to you and submit to you and walk in your spirit. Help us to do that. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing of invitation, of course. You let the Spirit speak to your heart as we sing these songs. If you have a need, whether we sing or after we sing, I'm right here. Uh, let's take the Word of God and deal with it if we need to. Gordon will come and lead us. <laughs> 